could please grab your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 16 and 17. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you prepare our hearts to receive from your holy word that you would show us more of Christ, show us more of who you are, that we may worship you with our lives. Father, thank you for the words in your scriptures that are able and powerful enough to give life. We pray that your spirit would grant us understanding, that we would hear your words, and that you would conform us more into the image of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Verse 16 and verse 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. This sermon is titled, Showered with Goodness showered with goodness. We've been in a a section on trying to understand the why of faith-testing trials and how to respond properly to these trials that God brings our way as a gift to strengthen and mature us. But have you ever thought, God is setting me up to fail. God is trapping me. God is putting me in this situation that is provoking me to sin. Is that really the reality? The reality is that it is an impossibility for God to tempt you, but rather it is your own sinful desires from your heart. And the reality is that when you are tempted, God always provides a way of escape from sin. And that way of escape is found only in Christ as you seek him, as you find refuge in him, as you obey him. God is good. God is always good. And God only does good. We should accept trials as coming from a good God because he is using them to test our faith for a good purpose, to produce good in us and good for us, which must be turned back into praise and boasting in the Lord as worship which is good because it proves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12.2. Worship of God is the key to having the right perspective, and that comes from knowing and obeying God's word. When we worship him, we turn our eyes to him and off of our circumstances. We see and behold his glory and his goodness and his faithfulness and his loving kindness We focus on the truth of who God is so that we are not deceived about what is happening in our lives and who is giving us these wonderful, blessed gifts. Do not be deceived, verse 16, is not, is an important imperative command that is given to us. It's a bridge that connects what came before, what we looked at last week, verses 13 through 15, with what comes after, verses 17 and 18. And we'll look at verse 18 next week. And so we're not to be deceived into thinking that from last week, God tempts us 
or that he entices us to do evil or to sin or to respond in a way that does not honor or please him. And we are not to be deceived, as we'll see today, about who God is, about his goodness, and about how his goodness never changes. God is never the tempter, but rather he's always and only the good giver of good gifts. James wants to remind us of the nature and character of God so that we rightly understand the gifts that he is giving to us. In this section, James provides for us two critical truths that will help us in times of trial so that we are not deceived. Two critical truths that will help us in times of trial so that we are not deceived, deceived into how we view God. First, God is good. And secondly, God does not change. So let's look at God is good, verses 16 and 17a. Again, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The context here is still on trials. If you look at your Bibles at verse 2, James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And that phrase, my brethren, is repeated here in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So verse 2, you are commanded to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. And verse 16, do not be deceived in doubting the goodness of God in those trials. In other words, the trials that you encounter are from the hand of a loving father who is sending them your way to spiritually strengthen and mature you, as verses 3 and 4 says. You are commanded to ask of God for wisdom in confident, trusting faith, in verse 5, of how to get through these trials. You're not supposed to doubt that God is at work and that he is these trials. Down in verse 12, you are to remain steadfast and persevere under these trials, recognizing that it is a blessed test. So you're not to, so you're to rejoice and to receive trials as a blessing. That is how Christians are to understand trials. It is to not only grow and mature us, but to cause us to worship God for who he is. We are to receive trials, understanding that the God who is sending them is good, and he is not varying his character throughout the trial. He is always good. But oftentimes when trials and difficulties and troubles come into our lives, people begin to question God's goodness and what God is doing. How do I know that it is actually a good thing that God is doing or accomplishing? How do I know that God is actually at work in this? Verse 16 says, Do not be deceived. Do not let your heart wander. Do not let your heart be led astray. That is a command. This is not just information letting us know that that can happen. This is instruction telling us not to let that happen. And this is a present tense verb, meaning that this is to be continuous all the time. Do not be deceived. Do not let your heart wander. Do not be led astray from thinking that God is not good or that God changes his goodness towards you. This word deceived is a word used for a wandering star. It's used in Jude where he describes false teachers who have wandered from their orbit. They have drifted away. And so this is saying, don't let your heart wander as those who have wandered away from the truth that God is good. And don't let your heart wander away by false thinking. This is what happened 
in the garden to Eve. Her heart in the garden, we saw that this window into her heart that showed how her heart had already started to wander. Satan came to deceive her and asked her, did God really say? Did God really say that? She had already entertained a sinful view of God, a questioning of God's goodness that altered how she received the gift of God's command to not eat the fruit. And remember, she told Satan that they were not to eat of it or even to touch it, which God did not say. This is something that she had added to God's word. Her heart was doubting the goodness of God, and that doubting of God's goodness allowed her heart to wander further away from the truth, and this can lead to not only misinterpretation, but adding to or subtracting from God's word. And this is so often the case when people are in times of trials. They doubt that God is in charge. They doubt that God is good, that he's in complete control of it. They doubt that he is at work in the trial. And what that produces is a wandering from the truth that invites sin and compromise, being angry at God and justifying our own sins towards God, thinking that we can sin because God is putting these things into our lives and he's allowing us because he's made us this way. But this is what James addressed in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, let no one say or think ever, I am being tempted by God because God doesn't make anyone sin. You make yourself sin. Deception always involves manipulating truth and we need to be on guard against it. In times of trial, we need to know and remember and respond according to the truth that God is good. God is not the one tempting us to sin. He is the good giver of good gifts. And so we can tell ourselves that when we are in a trial. The only way to not be deceived is to know truth and to apply truth in obedient God-honoring living. And that comes from knowing God's word. Obedience is tied to knowledge. What we do is connected to what we know. And so when we know what God's word says, and we do and obey what God's word says, that's what is called wisdom. That is wisdom. So truth matters. Truth matters, and not just knowledge of truth, but conviction of truth, which is faith. A saving faith is a believing faith. It's a trusting faith in the person of God, in the person of Christ, in his promises, in his character. It's been said that truth is not fully grasped until it is truly lived out from the heart. So it doesn't matter how much you know unless you are truly living it out from the heart. Matthew 22, the Sadducees come to Jesus and question him about marriage and the resurrection. And Jesus says there in verse 29, you are mistaken. And that's the same word deceived in verse 16 in James 1. You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. And down in verse 31, Matthew 22, he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? They were deceived because they did not know or understand the scriptures or understand who God is or the power behind God's words and what he can do. James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James uses this term of intimate love and affection to address these Jewish Christians who have been displaced from their homes because of persecution that had driven them out of their homeland. 
and they were encountering various trials. So he's exhorting and warning them in love for them. And God, through James, is giving us this the gift of this command to warn us because he loves us. God is warning us because he loves us. Don't be deceived about your understanding of trials. Don't be deceived by your understanding of temptation. Don't be deceived by your understanding of sin. And don't be deceived about who I am. If you look at verse 17, it says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. This emphasizes that the action of giving, every good thing given is good, and that all his gifts are perfect or complete. Therefore, God's giving is intrinsically and comprehensively good. Good describes the giving as useful and beneficial in its effect, and perfect makes the gift as complete, marks the gift as complete, lacking in nothing to meet the needs of those who he is giving it to. The word gift here is only used one other time in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, verse 16. And there Paul describes that the free gift is not like the transgression. The free gift is the person of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and the new life that comes through faith in him. That is the free gift that Paul was talking about in Romans 5, 16. Adam brought sin into the world by his disobedience. Jesus brings salvation into the world by his obedience. And that concept has to be in our mind when we're trying to get our mind around trials, when we're trying to understand it from God's perspective. You have to look at trials through the perspective of the gift of eternal life, of saving faith in Jesus Christ. That the, That is the starting point for understanding trials. You're going through a trial, and what you need to know is that he has washed away your sins. He's forgiven you of your sins. He's justified you. He's declared you righteous and is now at work in your life to bring you to the full experience of eternal life. You have eternal life now through faith in Christ and he is continually maturing you and sanctifying you through these trials to bring you to the end where you will fully enjoy eternal life. That is why James uses the words good and perfect. He says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. And perfect is a word that James has already used back in verse 4. It's the word for mature or complete, where he teaches us that trials are given to make you spiritually mature, to make you perfect, to cause you to grow up spiritually. God is gifting you trials for a good purpose, for you to become spiritually mature. The word good is a description of who God is, telling us that his nature is good. Remember that God is good in and of himself. God is not good because he does good things. Things are good because they come from a good God. And when it says every good thing given, that is what is being emphasized. God's goodness. Every good gift is from above. That is why James can be so universal. If something is good, it is from God. If something is good, it is from God. It has its source in God. Something is good if it mirrors or reflects God's character, and that is the only standard of goodness. For you to rightly understand goodness, you have to understand that God is the measure of goodness. 
So to measure goodness, it has to be measured against God, not against one another, not against the person next to you. You have to ask, am I to compare myself to the person next to me, to so-and-so and how good they are, or so-and-so and how bad they are? That is not the standard of goodness. For you to rightly understand goodness, you have to measure yourself against God's perfect holiness. Romans twelve thirteen Romans three twelve, which we just read, says, There is none who does good. There is not even one. If you believe that you're going to go to heaven because you're a good person, you have to ask, according to who? According to who? Because it's not according to God. That's not how you enter the kingdom of God. That's not how you enter the kingdom of heaven. God is the source of goodness and the measure of goodness. He is the judge of goodness and he defines what is good. God doesn't, goodness does not define God. God defines goodness and only God is good. In Mark chapter 10 verse 17, a rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't immediately answer his question, but rather says to him in verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was challenging the rich young ruler to think through the implications of calling him good because to call him good was to acknowledge his deity, that he is God. So by asking him this question, Jesus wasn't denying his deity, but was rather affirming it and declaring that only God is good. So in what ways is God's goodness manifested? How do we experience God's goodness? He reveals it to us. That's James' language here in verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. James calls them gifts, and they are all from a good God. Everything in the world can come into two categories. Things that are outside of you, which are going to be used by the Lord to build you up and to mature you and that are to be good for you, specifically the trials, or things that are from inside of you, which are the doubting and the inclination to sin, and that's going to be bad for you. And James wants to us to remember that. He wants to remind us of that truth. The things that are outside of you that are going that you are going through, they are designed by God for good purposes, because God only sends good things. He only sends good gifts your way. And trials test our faith. But that testing is going to make us spiritually mature and complete and bring about steadfastness, endurance, and perseverance. James is saying that every single action of God flows from his goodness. A good and perfect God only gives good and perfect or complete gifts to grow us for our good and to make us perfect or complete. And these good gifts from a good God, verse 17 continues, are coming down, which is a present participle describing an unending succession of good gifts that is coming down upon us. It's always raining down goodness. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He reveals his goodness to us, 
and we are to know and see and experience and embrace and benefit and be blessed by it. Don't be deceived that what is coming down is not good so that you block your view of the good giver and his good gifts and fail to see them for what they really are. You lose out on the benefits of these good gifts, that these good gifts are coming down from above, verse 17 says, from the Father of lights, from the Father of lights. Father of lights describes God as the creator of the heavenly luminaries that give us light in reference to the sun, the moon, and the stars. In Genesis 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then down in verses 14 through 18, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. This describes days and seasons and years and life from the macro level down to the micro level. James' point is that all gifts such as light, whether natural or supernatural, come down to us from a good and giving father. He is the father of lights. And this phrase is meant to convey God's goodness. Father is the idea of source. God is the source of these good gifts. He is God, the creator from which life and light flow from. He is the source of goodness, and there is no goodness outside of him. And this is how we know him. God is the source of goodness, and he's also the revealer of it. Light lets you see things. It reveals things. It exposes things. Namely, that God reveals himself to us in his word. He wants you to see him. He wants you to know him and experience his goodness. The goodness of God is meant to be revelatory. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light also speaks to God's purity. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So in scripture, light has references to God and creation and revelation, but it also has references to Jesus Christ, to Christian believers, to godly living and our testimony in the world, to our assurance and eternal security, to thanksgiving, and also to worship. John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 Peter 2, 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his 
marvelous light. Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In Matthew 5, previous verses 14 and 15, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. The church is to stand out and not be hidden. We are to, Philippians 2.15, appear as lights in the world that proclaim, 1 Peter 2.9, the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Colossians 1.12, we are to give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And down in verse 7, to him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting, the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night. God is good, and so all that he does is good, and not just for our salvation, but our salvation is where we particularly see and behold his goodness towards us. Second Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But Satan, Satan even knows the truth about light, so we must not be deceived. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and he blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, Second Corinthians four four. We must know what is true and test everything else against the truth of God's word and live according to it. R.C. Sproul has said, when God says something, the argument is over. If God says, I do not tempt you to sin, if he says, I, the Lord, am good, I, the Lord, do not change, it's absolute truth. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10 says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, approving what is pleasing to the Lord. And we can do this because we have the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2, verse 10. But if you are not in the light, then you are in the darkness. You are spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins, and the wages of sin is death and the condemnation and wrath of God. You have sinned against a holy God and justly deserve to be punished for your sins. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. You have broken God's law and you have sinned and you fall short of God's glory. 
But Jesus lived a life that you could not live in perfect obedience and righteousness to God to satisfy God's holiness. And he died in your place as a substitutionary atonement for your sins to satisfy God's perfect justice. And he rose again on the third day in victory over sin and death. Your sins are credited to him and his perfect righteousness is credited to you. And if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for the forgiveness of your sins and your justification before God, you will be saved. Turn away from your sinful ways. Turn in faith to the only Lord and Savior who can rescue you from your sins and give you eternal life. Then and only then, by the power of the Holy Spirit making you a new creation, will you be able to know how good God is and be able to respond to trials differently. The first critical truth that will help us in times of trial so that we are not deceived is God is good. The second critical truth that will help us in times of trial so that we are not deceived is God does not change. Second half, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Isn't it often the case that when everything is going well, that we can say God is good? But when things take a turn, then suddenly you start to question the goodness of God. James says, Do not be deceived because God does not change in his goodness. God does not change in his goodness. His acts and light never deviate. He's always acting, always illuminating, always revealing himself in the most pure and good way all the time. It's been said that there is no dimmer switch on God. He doesn't tone it down. He's always at work and that cannot change. His purposes are always going forward. This is the doctrine of immutability, and that means that God doesn't change his being, his purposes, or his promises because he is faithful. God doesn't change his being, his purposes, or his promises because he is faithful. In other words, what God purposed to do in creation at the moment he spoke the universe into existence, he never varies from that. He's doing it all the time. He never stops working. He never stops revealing his goodness. He never stops working, and he's always doing it perfectly. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Hebrews 6.17, God says, says God desires to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose. God wants to demonstrate to you that his character is unchangeable and also that there's a purpose behind everything that he does. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8, He is the same yesterday and today and forever. In Psalm 102, Verse 24, speaking of God, says, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Unlike the lights of the heavenly bodies, God's light, which is expressive of his very being, revelation, and glory, is without change. There is no variation in the intensity of light given. There is variation in the intensity of light given by the sun, moon, and stars, the primary sources of natural light for our world. But there is no variation in who God is or in his word. Nature is subject to variation and change, but God is not. And so when you're going through trials, God's goodness is not changing even one little bit. It's not God that needs to change or our circumstances that need to change, but it's us. And that is his intention because God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what is that good? To become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And trials do that very thing. Trials accomplish that very thing so that you would be spiritually mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The good God who doesn't change gives good gifts to you so that a good work would be done in you. And when times are difficult, his good gift to you is knowing that he doesn't change and that you can fix your hope on his goodness and on his faithfulness. All that God does is good. Not only is God in control over your trial, but he's also good in and through your trial. This should give you comfort that God is at work and that God is always unchangingly good. This should give you a confidence in your faith, knowing that your whole life is wrapped up in the goodness of God. You're being showered with it. It's pouring down on you. And the goodness of God's trials are strengthening you. It's maturing you. It's perfecting you. It's blessing you. It's making you wise and joyful and worshipful. We can either have a limited view of the scope of God's goodness or we can fail to attribute because of our failure to see and understand the things that in our lives as coming from the goodness of God. God is doing way more than we think he's doing and he has way better plans than we think he does every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down, continually coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The greater our understanding of who God is, the greater confidence we will have that God is doing good things in our lives all the time come thou fount of every blessing O to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee great is thy faithfulness O God my father there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. As Christians, we will face and give into temptation and doubt at times. 
but knowing God's unchangeable character, that his love for us doesn't change, that he's always good to us and will always be good to us, helps us to respond wisely and to persevere and to endure under trials. And we will persevere because of God's preserving grace. That does not change. Our sins have been paid for fully and completely. Christ has rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1.13. We have eternal life, have passed out of death into life, John 5.24. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Do not live in guilt. Do not live in despair. Do not live based upon your circumstances. You have been freed to worship. So worship and obey him and live for him. His grace and love and wisdom ought to compel your obedience. And his unchanging goodness ought to propel you to humble worship. The variation and shifting shadow of nature and the variation and shifting shadow of our hearts does nothing to God. It does not change how good he is, and it does not change anything about him. John MacArthur has said, when we, as God's children, are so abundantly and continually showered with the most gracious, valuable, satisfying blessings our Heavenly Father can bestow, why should anything evil have the slightest attraction to us? Do you see how focusing on who God is can and does shape how we view trials and how it changes our perspective? Do you see how worship of God helps us to turn from sinful desires and temptation? So what can we conclude, not only about our trials, but what can we conclude about our entire lives as those who are in Christ? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Just overwhelmed by your goodness for us. Father, I pray that we would all come to experience the fullness of that goodness, that we would view all of life as being showered by your goodness, that it comes from you, that we would recognize it, that we would embrace it, that we would accept it, that we would rejoice and delight in it. Father, we have so much hope in Christ. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you continue to work in our lives in our sanctification. We thank you that we can experience your goodness, not just in the future, but every single day and every single moment that you give us here on this earth. I pray that we would walk in light as your son is light. I pray that we would turn from the deeds of darkness and walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. Father, would your light be our path? Would it direct and guide our steps? And would your good news, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, be proclaimed from our mouths, from our lips, 
so that all those around us who are without Christ can come and share in the goodness that comes from you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.